0: Uh, If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to open open them up to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And we're going to be in verse 18. We're going to sit in verses 18 through 25 this morning. We're uh, starting a new series this morning called Renovate Me. And uh, you'll understand what we mean by that in just a second. Uh, In 1989, Christianity Today, they wrote an article... uh, It was titled Patterns of Spiritual Renewal, and that article had a goal of identifying what encompassed the great revivals of history. So uh, so these are major moves of God's spirit. You know, you see people doing miraculous works, people experiencing healing like they haven't experienced before, uh, churches becoming very, very effective in their spheres of influence. Uh, those churches start sending missionaries around the world, especially with the second great awakening in the United States. You see just this massive missionary movement of people going to all Nations, Uh, uh, on top of that you have everyday people uh, kind of learning to proclaim the gospel in bold and winsome and clear and effective ways to the people that they're rubbing shoulders with and in relationship with. Uh, You have spiritual change inside of individuals witnessed at an unprecedented rate and a common side effect of all of this is as God's people change, uh, you actually start to see more and more people come to Christ. Like you see an increase in conversion and evangelism and those kinds of things. So, so Craig Springer, he has a quote. Uh, he says this, During revival, the number of people who normally come to Christ in a 20-year period come to Christ in two months. Everything is accelerated. Churches overflow. Lives change. Craig Springer uh, gave us that quote in his book, How to Revive evangelism. So so let's talk about this concepts of of revival real quick. According to Christianity Today, in this 1989 article, there are five marks of these revivals, and I'm just going to share the first two with you. So number one, these revivals are preceded by a time of spiritual depression, apathy, and and gross sin in which a majority of nominal Christians are hardly different from the members of secular society and the churches seem to be asleep. That's the first ingredient for revival. As I read that, you were going in your, like, yeah, yeah, that's right, okay, yes, we hear that. Okay, so so number two. An individual or small group of God's people becomes conscious of their sins and backslidden condition and vows to forsake all that is displeasing to God. Like as you, If you read anything in church history on revivals and how they function, you know that one of the very first thing, the things that starts happening is God's people start confessing start repenting, start changing. They let the spirit work in them before they ever see the spirit work out there, right? Okay, so... Why are we talking about all of this? Well, as a church, we have stated like we have a particular goal. We have something that we're aiming at. We long to see God do something new in and through this place in this community, right? That's what we've been talking about. So, uh, so yeah, we have this change and we have a passion to see the church become effective and uh, we want to become different for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors. Like that is something that we long for. So I want to give you a principle that is going to guide us as we engage this pathway. What God will change out there starts now with changes in here. So I don't think you uh, agree with me about this. I don't think you believe me. So this is what I need. I actually need you to repeat that with me. Uh, Okay, so repeat after me. What God will change out there Yeah, see, I don't really believe that you believe it. And so I need you to do the hand motions with me. What God will change out there, good, starts now with changes in here. Oh, you guys, that's good. We might like make up a little dance with that later. I don't know. So uh, you guys just excelled at that. I was so, so impressed. Okay, so, so this is the principle that we're going to carry. This is the principle we're going to keep coming back to. If we want to see God do something out in the world, it starts with what he's going to do inside of us. So we're in a new series. That series is called Renovate Me. And the reason we chose the word renovate is because we have been using the imagery of renovation to describe what is required here in this church. Like uh, We said uh, when the elders presented kind of the information to you about what we desire to see for this church, we said things like we long to be a community where lives are renovated, where people come to know Jesus and actually see the change that Jesus can create inside of them. Uh, In in our prayer meeting, uh, this was back in March, our first prayer meeting that we had along these lines, uh, Pastor Don used the illustration of this old house Right? In in this old house, what happens? You have some homeowners who have a vision for what they want to see different about the house that they live in. And it is a, an old house, and so they need to call in an architect, and they need to call in contractors to help them figure out how this thing is gonna work. And eventually, you know, as people go to work, uh, these contractors uh, inevitably find problems with the structural integrity of the house. They find things that need to be ripped out. They find mold. They find issues that cannot continue. And so the idea of all of this is that, yeah, we may have a plan and vision that we want to accomplish, but there is a process of demolition that has to occur. Like some things have to die. God has to take some things out. And then, and then you finally finish with a rebuilding on top of what has been removed, right? So we've talked about some of what that involves for us as a church, But remember, what God will change out there starts with changes in here, which means, so like get down to the the smallest unit of society, the individual. Like if you long for something to be different in your family, if you long for something to be different in your church, if you long for something to be different in your neighborhood or in your community, what God will change out there starts now with changes in here. Okay, so let's talk about how that change happens. Romans 8, 8, 18. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Up to this point, Paul has been talking about change. He has been using this word for change called death. That's the word he uses for change. He says, you need to die to yourself. A result of what Jesus has accomplished is that we get crucified with Christ. We die and Christ lives. And, and this is why we die. So the spirit of Christ can live inside of us and work inside of us and build the kinds of things that God wants to build in us. This is renovation. So here's the thing. Renovation causes pain. Renovation hurts. Renovation hurts. Like it, it comes with a certain level of suffering, right? So, so this could be pain because you have a particular relationship with your sin, right? And uh, so in addiction counseling, uh, I, I took a class on it when I was uh, you know, studying to be a pastor. I took a class on addiction counseling and what they tell you is uh, one of the most effective first steps uh, for anybody to overcome addiction is actually kind of to name that they have a relationship with their addiction. Like the person the, the person turns the addiction kind of into another person and talks about the relationship, the love relationship, the hate relationship that they have with this addiction. The same is true of our sin. We have a relationship with our sin and that relationship, it actually has created systems inside of our lives so that if you kill the sin, what happens is that everything that has been built on that sin or because that sin exists, it all starts to crumble. So you don't just like remove the sin from your life. You actually disrupt systems inside of your life which the sin was built on, which creates increasing problems for you. So that is one kind of pain that comes as a result of us choosing to die to self. There's a second kind of pain though that comes as well. There's pain because the more Jesus changes you, the more the world sees you as offensive. Like, when you decide to not do something that you used to do, uh, it's possible that some of the people in your spheres of relationship will look at you and, and assume that because of your choice not to do this thing, you are now judging them, And because they assume that you're judging them, they might choose to kind of socially ostracize you a little bit or exclude you. Like when you fail to prioritize what they say you should prioritize, then it is determined that you don't belong. Right, so when it says right before verse 18 and verse 17, uh, to share in the sufferings of Christ, when God determines how you live, it actually like makes you a public enemy. Because that's what happened with Jesus. God determined how Jesus lived and what did that do but disrupt all of society around him. Now, I'm not saying this gives you permission to just be a jerk. I'm just saying it's reality when you become a Christian and you place your faith in Jesus Christ and you strive to do what is right, it's going to place you at odds with the society around you. So for other Christians around the world, like for us, it's... It, It's kind of minimal pain, right? So it might be social exclusion, but even then, like we're still a pretty tolerant society for what it's worth, even though you might think different things from the media and all that stuff. Uh, There might be some minor right now social inconvenience for you becoming everything that God wants you to be. But for a majority of Christians around the world, it means prison. It means the loss of family, uh, it means the loss of life. It means torture. It means pain for letting God do his work in them. And the point of all of that is to say, we need to be aware that renovation causes pain, which explains why so many of us are so content with not changing. Because we know that to change will cause us significant pain and it is so much easier to stay the same than it is to change. All right, so I want to tell you the, the story of my parents' kitchen. Uh, I grew up in a small house. Uh, in that small house, my parents had a very tiny kitchen. So imagine this table is the sink that my parents wash their dishes in. And uh, imagine that this stand right here is the uh, stove that my parents cook their food on. And imagine that at the end of this stair right here, which you at home can't see, I understand, but at the end of this stair, about two feet in front of me, is our kitchen table, which is pushed up against the wall. So there is room for about three people around our kitchen table. and. and If you sit at the kitchen table, if anybody sits at the kitchen table, nobody gets access to anything else in the kitchen. Like if you need to get to the refrigerator, we have to pause dinner, everybody stand up so that somebody can go to the refrigerator, get what's needed and then bring it back out. This is the small kitchen that my parents have. And so uh, about 12 to 15 years ago, my parents started talking about renovating their kitchen. Because it's too small. 12 to 15 years ago, Um, three months ago, their kitchen was the same as it always had been. For 12 to 15 years, my parents talked about renovating their kitchen. Why did they wait? Because the pain of changing that kitchen far outweighed the benefit for them. Because what is involved? This is not just like they need to change the cabinets. Uh, This is not just they need to like change the flooring. They need to structurally revamp the entire thing. They need to raise the floor up. They need to raise the roof up. They need to raise the ceiling. Like everything about this place needs to change in order for this to open up and have space for Our family. So, um, so two weeks ago, they started the renovation process on their kitchen, and from what they tell me, it is an incredibly painful process. My mom has like uh, scratches all over her arms. They were completely sore the next day. Neither of them could really move around, and they're not like getting any younger, right? That's a reality. So, um, do you know why they decided to renovate their kitchen? They have grandchildren. And every time our families get together at their house and eat, you know what we have to do? We have to sit in different parts of the house. And that is painful for my parents. They want us to be able to sit together as a family around the table. And uh, and these grandbabies, they are growing in both number and stature. They are getting bigger and they are increasing in their number. And so every time we have dinner together in this house, this vision of what the kitchen could and even perhaps should be increases each time. It crystallizes a little bit more. So, So... Like I said, renovating this kitchen requires no little amount of pain and hard work. So I want to show you some pictures of the renovation process. The first step in the process. This chimney goes up through our the basement of our house all the way through the roof and it goes directly through the kitchen. There is a two foot by two foot by two foot block sticking out from the wall that is obstructing usable space in this kitchen. And there, you can see it right there. That is the block that goes up through the wall. And so they began tearing this down all the way from the roof down to the floor. Uh, we'll get the next one, yeah, you got the roof there, there we go, okay, so now we're getting into the kitchen, they have to tear this thing out piece by piece, and then you'll get to finally see it removed without that obstruction there, this is barely the beginning of the process of them renovating their kitchen, it is incredibly complex, it is difficult, there are many layers of challenge on this, but they realized that the paint, is worth the vision of seeing their family eat together and share meals when we're all in the same house. Okay, so what is the vision then for us? If we're called to endure some kind of pain, what is the vision of what we could be? Romans eight nineteen. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Uh, I saw a quote this week, and, and that quote said something like this. The world needs who you were made to be. The, don't mishear me on that. The world does not need you. The world needs who you were made to be. The world needs who God created you to be So there is a person somewhere hiding inside of you, and if you don't believe me, read Genesis 1 and 2, because it's not just a story of a God who creates, but it's a story of a God who commissions, who gives responsibility to human beings to kind of oversee creation, uh, to reflect his glory into that creation, to be image bearers in the midst of that creation. Like, he gives them responsibility over this creation. He has something he made them for. So, like... If you open your news app on your phone right now, and maybe you even read the first headline on that news app, uh, what you discover is that creation is broken, right? Like, you don't have to look very long to figure that out, And, and creation was not made to be broken, Like, uh, so appliance makers today, what do they do? They, uh, I've discovered, they used to make appliances to last, what, like 25 to 30 years. Uh, Today, they make them to last about 8 to 10 years. They make them to break in about 8 to 10 years. God is not like those appliance makers, right? God did not make the thing to break down. That was not his intention. He made it to flourish. So what does he do? Because creation is broken he takes on flesh and enters into the brokenness by sending his son jesus descended into the depths of our brokenness and died for us in our place and then from that place begins the process of repair so how does he do this well um he extends the opportunity to individuals to be made right with god through belief in the son the Bible uses language of adoption to describe this process, particularly Romans chapter 8 uses the language of adoption to, u- to describe this process. Uh, yes, like human beings, we are a part of the brokenness. We are stuck under the brokenness, but Jesus broke the power of the brokenness. And that's the beginning of his repair job on creation. Like from the place of reconciling individuals, creation, created people with their father, he then begins rebuilding all of creation, but it starts with those individuals. So, so creation waits, it says, for the revealing of the children of God. So remember, there's a person that you were made to be hiding somewhere inside of you, and this is what happened. The crucified, risen, victorious king, Jesus, has the keys to begin letting that person out of you. So that person can start to come out for the glory of God and for the sake of the world. Right, so we could say it like this. Discontentment abounds until we become who we were made to be. Discontentment abounds until we become who we were made to be. And the good news is, by Jesus' death divine power, we can be renovated and become those people. So here's my goal. In uh, the remaining time I have left, I want to stir up inside of you discontentment. I want, like, so hear me, contentment is a really good thing. Like, there should be something in us that says, I lack nothing. Like, when I am with my shepherd, when I am with the Lord, I have all that I need. And at the same time, Scripture constantly reminds us that things are not yet as they should be. Like God is still in this process. The world is still not the way it's supposed to be. There are parts of my life that are untouched by God's power and he wants to remake those. There are people in my life who have yet to meet the savior of the world and we have yet to become the people that we were made to be. Like there should be a longing in us so powerful that uh, we would fight and we would pray and we would seek the Lord and submit and surrender to his goodness until everything around us is restored as it should be. So as good as it is to rest and, and be at peace and be content in the Lord, like those are all good things. There should be something inside of you that is disquieted at the reality that there's still brokenness in this world. There is something inside of you that should be very discontent at the reality that there's still brokenness inside of you, and that discontent is not to create shame, it is not to create fear of the Lord, it is to drive you to pursue the things that he is remaking inside of you. So contentedness is, is good, but there are some parts of contentedness that we need to dismantle this morning. So Romans 8.20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who, subjected to, uh, him who subjected it. So you want to know the number one thing that should unsettle us about our current reality is that the whole world is trapped under the influence of sin and spiritual darkness, what I have been calling today brokenness. And God allowed it. Because we chose it. Like, we chose our way above his and said, and God gave us over to what we were seeking. And what happened? But like, we were the ones who were commissioned to care over creation. So what does that mean for creation? Well, the ones who were commissioned to care for it then introduced that darkness, not just over individuals, but over the whole deal. So the result is that now creation is at odds with God. Like, because of sin, God has permitted a spiritual authority to demons, right? And if you spend any time reading the Bible, you know that there are dark spiritual forces at play in this world. Those things can be at play because God has permitted them, because we introduce darkness into this world. Uh, relational conflict abounds around us. Addiction overpowers people's lives. Sickness and death and disease exist and have power. People go hungry. Mental illness afflicts people. The darkness is very thick. And that's just what's out there. We're not even talking right now about what's in here. Like, we just spent a series, a length of time in the Ten Commandments, talking about how um, maybe we tend to prioritize self. Maybe we tend to neglect responsibility that we should hold on to. Maybe we would lift our reputations up above other people's reputations. Maybe we would tend to act impulsively. Maybe we think we know better than God what is good for us. Right? So so things are not as they should be. And maybe more often than not there's a problem, which is that we're kind of okay with that. So Romans eight twenty one says that the creation is longing in hope the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation is broken, but when Jesus came, what did he do? Like, just think of his acts. Don't even think of his, his final acts, his death and resurrection. Just think of his acts. Like, what did he do? He started driving back the darkness. Right? He came and he had authority over demons. He cast them out of people. He drove them back. They wanted nothing to do with him when he was around. So, so he shows up and light starts breaking through the darkness. And then what does he do but heal people? The darkness works itself out in sicknesses and diseases, and he begins healing those things inside of people. And then like you have hungry people, a bunch of hungry people in one place. He just feeds all of them, right? Takes a couple of loaves and a few fishes, and he, like, he just multiplies it so that these people can eat And all of this shows us that he is the one who came to set things right. And he is in the process of breaking people loose from the darkness. So how does he start that? Well, he starts where we started. So we started getting the darkness in by rejecting God. And so he starts by extending us the opportunity to be made right with God. Like, that is the beginning. So, the picture that we're given here is when we believe in Jesus, when we place our trust in Jesus, then what starts to happen is that light starts to break into the darkness. And how does that happen? From a place of being right with our Creator, we start adopting His instruction for who we are to be. We stop saying, okay, I know best what is good for me. I believe that you know what is good for me. Like, He is the architect. He's the one who comes in and looks at the house and says, I know what it should look like, and he gives us the blueprints. And as we follow him, we start, you know, we watch him kind of making things right in our lives that are not as they should be, and this is renovation. Right, like if you've spent any time believing in and trusting and following Jesus in your life, then you know that Jesus is setting things right inside of you and making things as they should be. The Bible calls this freedom because you were kept under the weight of this darkness and brokenness and Jesus has the only key to get you out of it. And so he comes in and opens it up and the brokenness no longer has to dictate what happens to us. Like for our insecurities, he teaches us security in him. For our impulsiveness, he teaches us self-control. For our frustration, he teaches us patience. For our pride, he teaches us humility. For our self-reliance, he teaches us reliance on him. For our self-seeking, he teaches us to seek the good of others. For our love of self, he teaches us love of God and love of neighbor. And then what starts to happen is what creation has been longing for this whole time we start to bring that person that God is renovating to bear on our spheres of influence, to bear on the world around us. Like we were made to be administrators, right? We were made to care for this thing. And so when God starts renovating us, that person then begins reflecting the image of the glory of God onto the world around us. And this is what creation is waiting for. The light starts to shatter the darkness of the things that we touch so Romans 8, 23. And it's not only creation that's waiting for it. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So he says, he says we're waiting for adoption. And you're gonna say, well, wait, I thought you said we were already adopted. We are. We are already adopted, but there is a reality where we will not see the fullest effects of our adoption until Jesus returns, right? When Jesus returns, everything that we were made to be and become will be made reality. But here's the problem. When we read this passage and passages like it, what we take it as is, there's this point in time when you believe in Jesus, and then Jesus gives you all of these promises that are way over here in the future, right? And so in between here when you believe, and in between this time when Jesus brings all the promises, there's this long period of time where you just wait. Like, you you kind of just do your thing, like you live your life, right? Well, the problem is, at this point, this is the point that we start becoming what he created us to be. Like, it's, we don't just believe and then kind of wait until the day when Jesus comes back and makes it all right. No, we start pursuing right now what is right when he makes us new. Like, so, so I get saved, the, the concept that I get saved and live my life and kind of wait around until Jesus returns and makes it all right, like, that is not the eager waiting that this passage is talking about. Because eager waiting is discontentment with the way things are right now. Eager waiting is recognition that yes, yes, Jesus will ultimately make everything right and we rejoice at that, that is our blessed hope, but until then, I'm gonna do everything in my power to see his influence touch as many parts of my spheres of influence as it possibly can. See, eager waiting has a hope And that hope drives action in the here and now. You could say it like this. We are not satisfied until Jesus repairs every piece of brokenness. We are not satisfied until Jesus repairs every piece of brokenness. So we're going to talk about the role that hope can play in uh, our discussions with people and the ways that we talk to other people. And then we're going to wrap up. So uh, how do I handle the brokenness of others? How do I handle the brokenness of others? So um, what I assume is that you have people in your spheres of influence that you interact with who know brokenness really well. Uh, And the hope of renovation, for what it's worth, is not just a hope that is for you. It's a hope for all people. Like there is a hope that you have, that you know about right now that other people need. So this is what I want us to start doing. I want us to start listening for where the brokenness becomes acute for the people that we interact with. Like, I want us to, as we engage in conversation with other people, I want us to listen to them really, really well and try to see where they see the brokenness. Do they see it in themselves? Do they see it in interactions around them? Like, uh, for some, it might be the death of a loved one. For some people, it might be like a personal insecurity. For some people, it might be a relationship struggle. But this is what I want us to do. The people that we're rubbing shoulders with, the people that God is calling us to influence, I want us to become students of how they experience brokenness. Because in that place in their lives, in every other place in their lives, they may be asleep to what God is doing, but in that place in their lives, their eyes are open to something. Right, So if we understand how they see and interact with brokenness, then we know that in that moment, there's actually a part of that holy discontent inside of them that can be brought to the surface. So I want us to start listening for those things because those are the places that we can pray for for them. That's the place that we can learn to be present with them in the midst of these circumstances. Those are the places where we can serve them really, really well. And that's the place where we can love them. And that's the place where we need to learn to speak words of hope to them. Because that's where they see the brokenness. That's where they are awake to the realities that are even being talked about in this passage. And that's the place where the hope of Jesus has the greatest chance of breaking through. Okay, so Romans 8, 24 and 25, it says this. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So maybe with these people that you rub shoulders with, you will have the chance to speak to them a truth about a God who is not satisfied with the brokenness he has the same discontent over the brokenness that they in that moment are experiencing except he experiences it 10 times greater than they are and a god who would enter the brokenness for a chance at remaking our lives and remaking our world as it would meant to as it was meant to be like that is a god who extends hope okay so what so what my only one this morning is this dismantle contentment. I want you to be relentless. I want you to be frustrated. I want you to cause trouble for the spiritual darkness that exists in the world around you. Right? The, the words that we read today, they are meant to be words of hope, but that hope does not ring into the deepest parts of our soul. Like That hope doesn't drive pursuit of Jesus if we allow contentment to become complacency. Like if you want to see Jesus' renovation start to overflow in your life, then you need to become tired of sin. You need to become frustrated with brokenness. You need to get really uneasy about the spiritual darkness that people are trapped under in your neighborhood. You need to be unsettled about the parts of your life that you are keeping off limits from Jesus. You need to long for creation to be made right so much that it would drive you to pursue it being made right as much as it can in your life right now so with all of that being said I want to extend to you a question and this is a self-reflective question I want to encourage you to pray through this this week Uh, if you have notes sitting next to you sermon notes on the back of those sheets uh, one of our elders Phil Jupp he has uh, made some scripture passages to help us reflect and they sit so well with the things that we're talking about this morning There are prayers to help you reflect about this personal renovation that needs to take place. So I want you to take those, I want you to pray through those this week, and I want to ask you this question to reflect on. What comforts, maybe it's one, maybe it's many, of this world are permitting you to allow contentment to breed complacency? What comforts of this world are permitting you to allow contentment to breed complacency? If you reflect on this, because the Lord will show you if you ask him, it doesn't doesn't take long. In fact, he's eagerly longing to show you. He wants you to know so that you can be rid of it so that he can start making you into the person you were created to be. So church, if we want to see Jesus' renovation out there, we need to get so unsettled with the things, the way things are in here, that we will fight and pray and strive to see every piece of our lives come under Jesus' ownership. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, this morning um, I am uniquely and acutely aware of the own uh, my own parts of my life, the places that I have perhaps been holding back or even perhaps become kind of numb to. And so, Lord, I... Um, my ask is that even more you would reveal to me those, those places that I am keeping back from you, where, where I am letting brokenness reign, where I am, um, Lord, refusing to, to let the light have its renovating power in my life. And I pray for every person in this room. I pray for every person listening online. Lord, my request is that you would instill in us the same attitude to discover the things inside of us which are not the way that you made them to be. Lord, reveal, show, Holy Spirit, lead us into deep personal reflection. And then as we continue in in the weeks ahead, um, help us to discover the structures that we can build in those places of brokenness, those things that you are removing that would actually help to bring alive the person that you made inside of us. God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus who made us right with you at the cross. We thank you for the promises that we get in the future of a world that is going to be remade as you intend it to be. And so, Lord, out of our thankfulness for both of those things, would you lead us to pursue the things that you desire in the here and now? We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.